0: We could just go home after that. We're not. I just want you to know I'm smart enough to know we could. Thank you so much. Uh, our theme this year, if you're new with us today, is Jesus 365, thinking about Jesus every day, concentrating every Sunday on some aspect of the life of Jesus, the words of Jesus, the example of Jesus, and asking some tough questions. We, we don't want to just make Jesus over into our image. We want to be made over into his image, which means we have to be honest honest about what we are reading, honest about the words of Jesus that confront us. And today, and for the rest of this month, we are again returning to the parables of Jesus, and we're looking at some parables of reversal, parables of opposites. Uh, Let's begin with this. Uh, I saw them eating, and I knew who they were. That is an ancient Middle Eastern proverb that would have been well known Even in the time of Jesus and it should appear very strange to you in our world of fast food Options and families sitting down and eating together with Netflix. It seems a bit odd but in the day of Jesus what you ate and Who you ate it with? were very very important The meal said something, how it was prepared, how you prepared yourselves. In some ways, those meals even became a bit of a worship experience. Cleanliness was the rule. Clean food, clean dishes, clean hands, clean hearts. God evidently cares about pots and pans, too. And Jesus offended a lot of people with his table manners, ignoring the finger bowl by his plate, eating whatever was set in front of him, sitting down, eating with sinners. Thought nothing about it. People saw him there someone who had lost all sense of what was right, someone who must clearly be condoning sin if he's eating with people like that. And, well, I saw the meeting, and I knew who they were. Jesus had a very full social calendar. We know that, from example, from Luke's gospel. And so this morning, we're going to join him at one of those social gatherings and listen in to the people around him and listen to the words of Jesus as well. I saw them eating, and I knew who they were. Luke chapter 14, verse 1. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, that's a lot to take in. We'll break it down in just a moment. They were watching him closely. Just a couple of things to notice, of course, is one, Jesus has now been invited to the home of a leader of the Pharisees. I saw them eating and I knew who they were. This says something about the status that Jesus has now among the general population. It says something about people listening to him and following him. He is now invited to the home of a very important person who remains nameless in this story a public invitation, a public viewing, if you will, and they were watching him closely. Who are they? Who's there? The owner of the home? Other religious leaders? Friends? Watching him closely, ready to follow him? Ready to subvert him, to undermine him. Uh, If we were to go back from the beginning and read up to chapter 14, this is the third time in Luke's gospel that Jesus is going to perform a miracle. He's going to transform someone's life. There's going to be a healing on the Sabbath. It's already happened twice, and they are watching him closely. For the right reasons, for the wrong reasons they're watching so why are you here this morning why are you here why are you watching Jesus what's your interest in him this morning what is it that you want to discover what are you wondering about him what's your need What's your longing over? What is your heart breaking? Are you willing this morning to see him with new eyes? Are you willing to see yourself through his eyes? They were watching him closely. Just then, in front of him, there was a man who had edema. And Jesus asked the experts in the law and Pharisees, is it lawful to cure people on the Sabbath or not? But they were silent. So Jesus took him and healed him and sent him away. My first week of teaching in college, a senior professor taught me a very important lesson. And he said, interruptions are part of the job. Take a deep breath. Interruptions are part of the job. It's why we're here to work with students. Interruptions are part of the job. You need to build it into your schedule. And if you're going to follow Jesus, interruptions are part of the job. If you're going to be on this mission with Jesus, interruptions are going to happen at the grocery store. They're going to happen when you get up in the morning and you check your text messages. They're going to happen when you walk into the church. They're going to happen wherever you go. If we are on mission, if we are living with our eyes open and there they are with this meal and they are watching closely and there's this guy an interruption an opportunity the king james version describes him as having dropsy swollen limbs and tissue his body's just hanging on to too much fluid They always ask why. We ask why. We, we want a biological answer. We want a medical answer. Often in the ancient world, they, they wanted a theological or a moral answer. Sick? Suffering? Poor? Tough life? Must be God's punishment. Sin, uncleanness, something going on. Healthy, happy, wealthy must be God's blessing, God's reward for rightness. And Jesus just turns it upside down. Thank God. Jesus turns it upside down. And we still struggle with this. This is a good time to talk about this. This is a good time to think about this. But how many of you have received news this week? How many of you opened a bill? How many of you heard a report from the doctor? How many heard words from someone that you thought you loved? And the immediate response to yourself or out loud has been How did this happen to me? How did God let this happen to me? Why did God let this happen to me? What is God doing to me? And Jesus, along the way, continues to ask us not just those beginning human questions, but but better questions. Now that this has happened to me, uh, how's it affecting my relationship with God? How's it affecting the relationship I have with other people? I wonder what God wants to do with this. So the Apostle Paul prays. And he prays a second time, and he prays a third time, whatever he means by, I've got this thorn in the flesh, it doesn't sound comfortable, it doesn't sound good. And he asked for God to remove it, and the answer finally came, no, you're going to be just fine, no, not today, no, my grace is enough for you, and my power is made perfect in weakness. And that same person one day will write, you know, God has this way of causing all things to work together for good. For those people that are called by God, for those people that are loving God, it just, there's something about God's ability to do that. They were silent. So Jesus took him and healed him. And send him away. And then he said to them, If if one of you has a child or an ox that has fallen into a well, will you not immediately pull it out on a Sabbath day? And they couldn't reply to this. <sighs> the Sabbath. It's important. We forget how important. It's important. You know, it's in the Big Ten. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. and Six days of creation and on the seventh day, God rests. It's not God looking down on you, wanting to, waiting for you to break a rule, waiting to punish. It's God going, you're going to need this, okay? It's God going, I... I I created you, and you're going to need some rest. You're, You're going to need some time to take a deep breath. You're going to need some time to step away. You're going to need some time to sleep. You're going to need some time to laugh. You're going to need... You need to rest. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. Good intentions. Oh, such good intentions to build fences around that concept and encourage people to keep it, to mark it. He's already done it twice, and now here's the third day, and here's this man. He's not dying. He has an edema. He's made it this far. He'll make it one more day. Jesus doesn't have to do it on this day. This is about God's intentions for all of us, and we, we must be careful. Stephanie Harrison is a scholar. I don't know much about her. She wrote an article back in 2005 looking at this very passage of Scripture. And part of where she goes to is that uh, she says it's not really argument about the law, that there are two competing visions of reforming Judaism at this time. That the Pharisees have this very clear vision of, of what needs to happen and that the intention of the law As we go back, the the focus of the covenant was holiness. So there's this emphasis on when, when God spoke, God spoke the law and every part of the law should be kept letter for letter, word for word. And that Jesus has this competing vision of reform and that the focus of the covenant is mercy. You can't heal on the Sabbath, say the Pharisees. He'll make it another day. The letter of the law is too important. The intention of the it's too important. We built this fence. It's for all of us and for all the right reasons. And they're watching intently. And somehow in the mind of Jesus, bringing the broken and bringing the sick and bringing the hungry to wholeness, is fulfilling the intentions of the Sabbath. Caring. Nurturing. Restoration. God's intentions. I pause here just to say to you, Church of Central Bearden, thank you for what you did a couple of weeks ago and saying yes to holding a RAM clinic for an entire weekend. Many of you have said, are we doing that again next year? The answer is no. That was an awful lot of work. Yes, we should do it again, but not next year. But it kind of seems like a natural, doesn't it, that a church would say, let's use our facilities and our people for the entire weekend, and, and we'll worship just not the way we normally do because... There's something at the core of who Jesus is that says mercy is important. There's something at the core of who Jesus that says that even on the day we call rest, even on the day that we worship, it should be a day of restoring lives and bringing health and wholeness and hope into people's lives. There's a danger here with these people sitting around and eating with Jesus. There's a danger that their interpretation of holy covenant, their interpretation of scripture becomes more important than the intention that's there to begin with. There's a danger that we all have that our interpretation of the Scripture that we love becomes more important than loving our neighbor or loving our fellow believers in Christ. It can turn to anger and turns to hateful, hateful actions and hateful words. and We've seen it. We saw it in the lives, we saw it in the lives of people who went to church every Sunday and said, well, I read the Bible this way, there's nothing wrong with slavery. But it was wrong. We saw it in the lives of people who go to church every Sunday and said, Well, we're going to treat people who are divorced this way. They're now second class. It was wrong. And so we look intently at these people looking intently at Jesus. And before you know it, it turns into a mirror. Have I settled into my spot? Have I settled into my favorite place? And I've stopped letting Jesus teach me. I've stopped letting the Spirit lead me. I've stopped being able to see new things. Our job this morning is to read Scripture through the lens of Jesus Christ. Our job this morning, as we go out the door, our privilege is not only to read Scripture through the lens of Jesus, it's to see the world through the lens of what we now know Jesus. It's it's to see our neighbors and our families. It's, It's to see the interruptions. It's even to see the pain and the suffering through what we have now learned through Jesus. As they watch him intently. As they now have nothing to say, Jesus watches them intently. And he gives them this parable. When he noticed how the guests chose the places of honor, he told them a parable. When you are invited by someone to a wedding banquet, do not sit down at the place of honor in case someone more distinguished than you has been invited by your host. And the host who invited both of you may come and say to you, give this person your place. And then in disgrace, you would start to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, Go and sit down at the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted." Humility. What does it mean to be humble? It basically means that... Well, that leads to ability, because when you're humble... It doesn't mean that you have to necessarily... When you're humble, it helps to be like... I've heard of it before, but I'm not exactly sure what it means because I learned what it was in Sunday School one time, a long time ago. But I don't remember what it means now. Well, there you go. We can all go home now. Yeah. The story was that after resigning as pastor to go lead another church, he was approached by a loving, kind elderly member of the congregation with tears in her eyes. And she's weeping as she says to the pastor, things will never be the same. And the minister tries to console her and encourage her and says, don't worry, I'm confident you will get a new pastor who is better than me. She continued to sob, and she replied, that's what the last three pastors have said, but they just keep getting worse. You know, humility is not a good one. This is, this is tough to learn. Uh, I heard about it a long, time in, a long time ago in Sunday school, and I'm just not quite sure what it means. Uh, Alan Culpepper was one of my professors in seminary, and on this passage, he says, these are liberating words that can free us from the necessity of succeeding in our culture's contests of power and esteem. It takes away the pressure takes away the comparison. It it takes the way we view ourselves and the way we view others. Two important lessons from this parable. Uh, The first one is very clear, and it's right there on the surface. We should cultivate and practice humility. There it is. If for no other reason, it avoids avoids embarrassment. But I think Jesus is giving more than just how to attend a party advice. And that's the thing about these parables. There's, There's always more that's there. And although the practice of humility is important for disciples, the second part of that is that in the kingdom of God, there's going to be this revolutionary reversal. And we are invited to be a part of that reversal now. We are invited to be a part of that revolution now. The standards and practices of discrimination will be overthrown in the kingdom of God. The outcasts will be accepted as equals. God is not impressed by the glitter of our guest list. God looks for how we have practiced generosity, how we have practiced inclusiveness of the kingdom of God now in our lives. The same professor, Alan Culpepper, he said the greatest crisis in the early church, the greatest crisis that they faced Wasn't the delay of, oh no, Jesus hasn't come back. When is Jesus coming again? But the burning issue of whom one will eat with. It's time for us to learn some new table manners. I don't know much about this man. I'm about to tell you a story about. He died the year that I was born. Uh. His name is Sam Rayburn. He served as Speaker of the House of Representatives in the United States Congress for 17 years. And in that position had a lot of authority, in that position had a lot of influence, in that position had a lot of power. The story is that one day he found out that the teenage daughter of a reporter had died. And so early that morning he goes to that friend's house and knocks on the door When the door opened, he asked if there's anything he could do. And his friend said, I don't think there's anything you can do. We're we're making all the arrangements. And he said, well, have you had your coffee this morning? And the father said, no, we, we haven't had time. And Rayburn said, well, I can at least make you coffee. And they go into the house, and he goes into the kitchen, and he starts making coffee, and his friend is sitting there, and suddenly he remembers, and he said, I thought you were supposed to have breakfast at the White House this morning. And he said, well, I was, but I called the president and told him I had a friend who was in trouble, and I couldn't come. Because no one ever said humility was easy. No one ever said humility would be convenient. But there's something about humility that must always include service. Somewhere in that definition, serving just keeps showing up the way Jesus inspired, the way Jesus modeled it. Sometimes the life to which Jesus called us, Jesus described it like a journey. Sometimes the life to which Jesus called us Jesus described it like it was a party, a celebration. This morning, we invite you to the party. It's important who we eat with. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for mercy that you saw when others could not. we thank you for people that you saw when others saw lawbreakers we thank you for hope that you saw when other people just saw too much pain and too many mistakes and we thank you for giving us a whole new lens a whole new way of seeing our world we say yes to reversals We just need your courage. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We invite you to join Jesus on this journey of practicing and living and sharing mercy. And if you've never experienced that mercy and grace from God, we invite you to come this morning. We'll be happy to pray with you during the invitation, or you can find one of us at the end of the service. We want to share with you who Jesus is really really who Jesus is in the dream that Jesus has for you. If you're looking for a community of people who are willing to ask tough questions, and we keep asking, who is Jesus, and now who are we in light of that, we invite you to join us on the mission that God has given to us. Will you stand as we continue our worship?